0: Well, good morning and happy Easter. There is an ancient Christian tradition where I will say, He is risen, and you will respond, He is risen indeed. But we're not going to just say it, we're going to really say it. So here we go. This is for all of you in here, all of you in the overflow room. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That was good. Let's do it again. He is risen. risen Life changing, world changing, paradigm shattering truth. Jesus Christ on that very first Easter was raised from the dead. Now over this weekend, because this is so much fun, I, yesterday had a lot of jelly beans, some chocolate-covered strawberries that Rhonda's making, so I'm still on this sugar high. So bear with me, I'm going to talk fast. And before we get into this, I want to show you one of the most beautiful grandchildren in the whole world. So Rhonda, stand with Lucy. This is our granddaughter, Lucy. It, Lucy's uh, just about eight months old. Rhonda actually went out and bought, I don't know, I think I saw 20 little Easter dresses maybe for her to choose from, and finally they decided on one. We are just thrilled. I want you to have just a great weekend, but we need to root this in history, in the reality, in what God has done for us. So let me set it up this way. Uh, In 1985, a sociologist by the name of Robert Bella wrote a book entitled Habits of the Heart on American Culture, on our culture. It became a famous book because it was so very insightful. In that book, there's a well-known interview with a woman by the name of Sheila. And uh, Sheila is asked, what are your basic uh, convictions and beliefs about life? And she responded this way She said, My religion is Sheilaism. I follow the dictates of my desires, and I adhere only to my own little voice. For the first 19 years of my life, I was just like Sheila. My life was all about what I wanted to do. We went to church, uh, rarely missed an Easter service like this one. But man, I want to tell you, under the surface, I was the master of my fate. I was the captain of my soul. And my life was all about my desires, what I wanted to do and when I wanted to do them. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was in high school, uh, there was an old song that came out. It wasn't old then by Carly Simon entitled, You're So Vain." And my sister, all through high school, said, Rob, that song describes you to a T. To a T. Funny. Play it again. Yep. That was me. Then in college, about halfway through college, I met some people whose lives have been totally changed by Jesus Christ. Uh, some sharp guys, Stanford graduates, and we spent months discussing Christianity, debating Christianity. They gave me a bunch of books to read by uh, people I'd never heard of like C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer. And then I woke up one day, and I realized that everything Jesus said had to be true, because you, there is no way to explain away the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And my life totally changed. God intervened, God showed up, God saved me, and there's been no looking back, and now that was a long time ago. Now we all know that today in America, that this Sheilaism, this... Meism is rampant. As a matter of fact, you, you could argue it's the dominant religion in America today, at least functionally. We're all about ourselves. Bella calls it expressive individualism. But I love you, and I, I want to warn you. Meism overpromises and underdelivers, and ultimately it will rot your soul. And if you want life, I mean real life, I mean abundant life, Uh, significance, uh, love, uh, freedom. It, It is not found in you living only for yourself. Actually, it's found in you dying to yourself following Jesus because you have become persuaded of the centrality of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ in human history. Now, I know for many of you here today, that's a, that's a leap. It sounds like a, a, a foreign country. So I want to unpack that. And I want to unpack it by talking about uh, three reasons I believe in the resurrection. And I'll give them to you, and then we'll go through them. The first is because the resurrection is a world-changing, paradigm-shattering historical event. The second is because the resurrection... Uh, restores divine connection, love. And the third is that the resurrection is the only hope in a world of increasing terrorism and danger. So let's read one of the resurrection accounts. If you have your Bibles or want to turn on your Bibles or grab a Bible in the rack in front of you, we're going to look At the last chapter in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're looking at Mark 16, it's page 1022 in uh, the Bibles in front of you, because Mark's account is the shortest account, it's the most direct account. So let's see what Mark has to say. I'll make a couple comments as we go, eight verses here. Verse 1. Mark chapter 16, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, that would be Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday, just after sunrise, they are on their way to the tomb. And they ask each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which is very large, had been in fact rolled away. Now I want you to see a couple pictures. Archaeologists, these are burial tombs in and around Jerusalem. Archaeologists have uncovered hundreds of these in and around Jerusalem, the greater Jerusalem area that date back to this period. But only a few, like the two I'm showing you in these pictures, have um, rolling stones because a rolling stone was a first century luxury and we are told in the other gospel accounts that Jesus was buried in the tomb of a wealthy man. only wealthy people could afford these rolling stones. Now look at this third picture. This is a picture I took when we were in Israel on one of our uh, trips. Uh, this tomb obviously doesn't have uh, rolling stone. At least it doesn't it now. A couple thousand years later. But one of the reasons I want you to see this is because inside this tomb, there's both a right and a left, uh, left and a right chamber. That'll become important in just a second. But also because many people believe this was actually the tomb. In which Jesus was placed. I'm not so sure about that. There's a big debate about it. Not sure we really know. But at least I wanted you to see in your mind. What this looks like. uh, Because archaeologists have uh, uncovered just incredible things. And and we need to see those. Let's keep reading verse 5. As they entered the tomb they saw a young man dressed in a white robe. Now notice, sitting on the right side. There was a left and a right side, and they were alarmed. Now the other Gospels tell us this young man is in fact an angel. Here an angel shows up, whose appearance, the other Gospel writers tell us, was like uh, lightning, and his robe was as white as snow. Now verse 6, the angel speaks, do not be alarmed. He said, that's a good thing to say, I would have been like we all would have been. So number one, world-changing, paradigm-shattering historical event. Let me set it up this way. So many people today, so many of us today, believe the resurrection never really happened. Uh, Couldn't have happened. Things like that don't happen. They say we can't take this literally. Uh, Instead, this is a, a spiritual message about hope. We need hope. And the disciples wanted to believe in Jesus, uh, so they created this legend about the bodily resurrection of Jesus to support their belief. Now, interestingly, this is what my church and my family, what we all believed growing up. But the historical evidence, I almost said hysterical evidence, uh, historical evidence, uh, flies in the face of that as well as the way this is written. Now let me just show you a couple illustrations of that here from what we have just read in just this one gospel. Notice how Mark begins. Notice Mark begins by mentioning the names of not just one, not just two, but three different women. Now in ancient literature, remember this is 2,000 years old almost, uh, when you mentioned a name like this, it was like a footnote saying you can track them down, you can talk to them. And these women were then eyewitnesses probably for decades. But more importantly, in the first century world, women had no status, zero. They were seen as vocationally, physically, uh, socially, culturally, intellectually inferior, there, were, uh, there, there was never an International Women's Day in the first century world. It wasn't going to happen. It was a, a, a brutal, chaotic world. Now, do you get what that means? What that means is that first century, second century, third century readers would not have been impressed at all by listing women as eyewitnesses of the empty tomb of the angel, later of the resurrection. Because they believed that the testimony of women wasn't credible. Therefore, if you were making this up, you would not, you would not put women in it. That Mark does and he leads the resurrection account with the names of these three women is shocking and points to the fact that these are historical eyewitness accounts. In addition, look at how this chapter ends. Mark tells us uh, that the women have just seen the angel, but they leave confused, they leave afraid. Uh, They don't know what's going on. They're disoriented. And it's just like we see over and over in the Gospels, because over and over in the Gospels, the Gospel writers cast the disciples in a negative light. So for example, sometimes they're arguing about who's the greatest. Other times they're slow to believe, not at all sure about Jesus. Then Peter denies Christ. Thomas Doubts Christ, and Judas betrays Christ. Then after the crucifixion, they feel like it's a wipeout, and they all return to their jobs, fishing. They had no categories, no categories at all, like we have no categories for a Messiah that was crucified. But if you're trying to launch a religious movement that has no basis in history, you would cover up, not expose, your leader's weaknesses. But not the gospel writers. Not Mark. Finally, let me just say parenthetically, if you were making this up, uh, that the tomb was empty when it really wasn't, that an angel appeared when an angel really didn't. It makes no sense that you would uh, later die as these disciples died for what you knew all along was a lie. All that to say, Mark wants us to see that he's writing history, historical fact. But um, let me fast forward today. What if your conviction is this life is all there is? That God doesn't exist? Uh, there's no such thing as the supernatural. I mean, that's really where I was um, the first 19 years of my life. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ shatters that. It shatters that conviction, that paradigm. Or, or what if your conviction is that all religions are basically the same? They're just different paths to the same destination. Or, or, or what if you find certain parts of the Bible to be offensive? You don't like them. Uh, you, you don't get them. The resurrection shatters all that. It makes it immaterial. Immaterial. Now, yes, these people were pre-scientific, but they were not. They were not gullible. They were just as skeptical as you and I would have been. A Messiah crucified, a Messiah raised from the dead. Mark knows that, so he gives us the women's names. Go talk to them. Not one, not two, but three. Go talk to them. And over and over, we have the names here. You see, what separates Christianity from all other religions is that Christianity makes its validity totally dependent upon historical facts. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the big one. Easter is the big one. And and, and so for me, as a non-Christian, the more I dug into this, the more I... Discussed. The more I uh, I read, the more uh, clear it became to me that it takes more faith to doubt these facts than it does to believe them. And man, did my life change as a result of that! So let me go on. Reason number two: I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection because it restores divine connection. By that I mean divine relationship and and love. Stories are data with a soul. The resurrection is data with a soul. The, The data is the historical data. The Testimony of the disciples, the changed lives of the disciples, the emergence of the early church uh, from nowhere, the eyewitness accounts, the fulfillment of prophecy, the empty tomb, all of that is historical data. the, The data, but the soul is that God loves us. God loves you. And so longs for a relationship to connect with you that he sent his son to die. On Good Friday, for your alienation, your meism, your sin. And then on Easter, he raised him from the dead to validate it, to prove it was divine. Now, Easter isn't, isn't religious legend, religious fiction. It's fact, just like gravity is a fact. It's a different kind of fact. It's a historical fact. But unlike gravity, Easter is a story with a soul. It's a love story about the free offer of forgiveness and redemption, not because Jesus Christ is weak, but because he is good. And he came as the good king to cause his people to prosper. Now think about the significance of this in 2016. I mean, we live in a world full of increasing alienation, dissonance, uh, brokenness. Uh, We live in a world that longs for connection. Connection is a deep, deep human desire inside us. Yet there is something inside us that also is very leery, something that almost disdains getting uh, too close because we fear. One of the reasons is we fear we're flat unworthy. And so, over the years as a pastor, I've had all sorts of uh, people say to me, Look at all the things I've done. There's no way God could forgive me. No way. A little while ago, I heard a researcher say that the difference between empathy and sympathy is that empathy fuels connection and sympathy fuels disconnection. And she said, empathy is climbing down the hole someone is in and bringing them out. Sympathy, however, is looking down the hole and shouting, I'm sorry. On Good Friday, Jesus Christ climbed down the hole of human experience. He climbed down our hole. And he died as our substitute to rescue us from our pride, our arrogance, our guilt, uh, our self-centeredness. And so on Good Friday, uh, Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and instead of executing judgment, he absorbs judgment. He bears the judgment of God on the cross. So the cross of Jesus Christ is the most dramatic act of empathy in human history. Most dramatic act of love, most dramatic act of connection. And it's the solution to our alienation, our, our dysfunction, our racism, our injustice, our, our hate. Okay, that's Good Friday. So, what's the resurrection? This is Easter. Well, uh, the resurrection is the receipt you show the man or the woman when you leave Costco. I mean, think about it. It validates that the price has been paid. You got to show them. The resurrection, then, is the cosmic receipt written across human history that says sins have been paid for, paid in full. What am I saying? What I'm saying is the forgiveness, the righteousness, the eternal life God offers a sinful, fallen, self-absorbed humanity through the death of Jesus Christ worked. That's the point of the resurrection. It worked. It validates it. And it means if we believe, we're free to go. So the resurrection is the receipt you show. Now, for you Monopoly buffs, uh, another way to say it is the resurrection is the get-out-of-jail-free card. It, meaning acceptance and a uh, relationship and love with God can be ours. Now, we actually see this here in a vivid way. Uh, it, it's just small, it's just little, uh, but the significance is, is large. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, the angel says, Hey, go tell the disciples. And then he mentions by name Peter. Peter! What did Peter just done? Peter just denied Jesus three times. Next to the betrayal of Judas, Peter's denial is the greatest failure of all the disciples ever. But the angel doesn't say, okay, go tell Peter he's done. The angel doesn't say, hey, go tell the disciples we're we're tired of their unbelief, we're tired of their bumbling idiocy, and we're going to get new and better men. No, the angel says, go tell the disciples, and then he mentions Peter by name. It's an incredible picture of God's heart. God's longing to forgive, longing to connect, longing to draw us into relationship. Again, not because he's weak, but because he's good. And God knows we're all Peters. I'm a Peter, you're a Peter. Uh, God knows that our faith is fragile. Uh, I I, I mean, think about it. All it takes is a flat tire and we're 75% of the way to atheism. I mean, how in the world could this happen to me? Obviously, God doesn't exist. (laughs) That's the way we are. So Peter here is about to turn in his discipleship card. I've denied you. He is racked with guilt. Yet here he gets his life back. So what I'm saying is I believe in the resurrection. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ in human history. Not just because of the arguments, but because of my experience. What has been my experience? Well, the resurrection has given me the experience of love and acceptance and connection beyond my wildest dreams. And it's been going on for decade after decade. I mean, my God holds me in the palm of his hand. And I know it. And I feel it. It's an ex- existential reality in my life. And it's not irrational. It's supremely rational. So we, we've been hardwired for connection. Uh, don't miss this weekend. Good Friday. Easter is how we get divine connection back. How we experience ultimate love. Now third... In light of what's going on, I felt compelled to talk about this. I'll be talking about this more in the the weeks to come. But we need to understand that it's the resurrection alone that offers hope in a world of increasing terrorism, danger, and chaos. Otherwise, it's going to wipe us out emotionally. And so I want to say a couple things about this and I want to begin by saying from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the Bible treats suffering and evil, a tragedy and atrocity with utmost, utmost seriousness. According to the Bible, it's a, it's a really big deal. And the Bible also warns of growing worldwide evil. Telling us that the last days of human history will be eventually catastrophic. Now, just a few days before Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, he looked into the future and talked about this. Look at these sobering words. Jesus said, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Then, and here he's speaking to Christians, and we as Christians tend to be wimpy when it comes to persecution and suffering. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all the nations because of me. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love, must, or the love of most, rather, will go, grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, there's a bunch of things Jesus is saying, but one of the things Jesus is saying, and man, uh, for those of you that know Jesus Christ, I want you to hear me. He's saying evil should not surprise us. He's saying the world is not getting better. You see, the, the, the problem isn't education or politics or economics. Uh, The problem, according to the Bible, is the human heart. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. Uh, The heart is deceitful above all else and beyond repair, beyond cure. So we have a terrorist problem today because we have a human heart problem. The human heart, according to the Bible, has an enormous capacity for evil. One of the reasons I believe in the Bible is because of its realism. Realism on this point. Now, uh, let me continue. Many many people today say, you know, the reason I can't believe in God is because of all the suffering and all the evil. Because of stuff like this. And and what they're saying is if suffering and evil exists, then God can't exist. I mean, how could a loving and powerful God uh, conceive of or, or, or permit this? And we get this, by the way, in our blended family. I mean, we lost spouses to not just cancer, but to brutal forms of cancer. But there's a problem with this view and I want to help you understand it. You, you see, the problem is a person who refuses to believe in God has no basis for saying that evil disproves the existence of God because they know have no basis for making a meaningful distinction between good and evil. If God doesn't exist, how can we call anything good or evil, including terrorism? Moral norms can only come from a personal absolute. So what I'm saying is if God doesn't exist, there's no ultimate morality. All we're left with are social constructs, which are arbitrary and temporary. Bombing a subway doesn't disprove the existence of God any more than a storm disproves the existence of the sun. Instead, your innate revulsion of it, my revulsion of that and racism and hate and, and murder and poverty and on and on, affirms the existence of God just as our uh, uh, disdain for rain affirms the existence of the sun. And, and so be careful here. The one does not lead to the other, but let, let me conclude with this. Let me just say it more personally. This terrorism in Europe, the political chaos here in the States today it, it is making us fearful. We're, we're rattled. Uh, we don't like it. We don't know what to do, so we're anxious. Uh, people are, are, are depressed. They're, we've been knocked off center. And I want to say this to you in love. Why? Because our hope is misplaced. Misplaced. Because our hope is superficial. In verse 6, the angel says to the women, Do not be alarmed. He is risen. The resurrection means there is hope. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ means there is no ultimate hope in government, no ultimate hope in humanity, no ultimate hope in in politics. The hope is in the redemption, the reign, and the rule of Jesus Christ. So the angel says, Don't be afraid, hope in Jesus. Following the resurrection near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus made an incredible statement. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, if the resurrection is true, that statement is true. And what that means is that right now from heaven, Jesus is reigning, ruling over everything in heaven and everything on earth. And you say, well, he's not doing a very good job. And the Bible says, well, his agenda is really different than ours. And he is working all things, all things together for good. So Joseph, way back at the beginning of the Old Testament, could say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is working all things together for good. And the point, uh, the bottom line of Easter is that Jesus Christ is alone the hope of the world. So our hope, or let me say it this way, hope isn't the absence of terrorism. It isn't the absence of political chaos. It's a savior who transcends it, who overcomes it. And frankly, it's, it's impossible for us to overcome our worry. Next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about this emotion of worry because worry is such a big deal today. It's impossible for us uh, uh, to overcome this on our own. And so God gave us His son. And it's in looking into Jesus, believing in Jesus, that we move beyond what's going on inside us. And so if you're here today, and you haven't come to Jesus, I want to invite you to come to him now. If you're not ready, that's fine. But if you are, and if God has been speaking to you this morning, man, I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus Christ, and to embrace him by faith, receive him by faith as your Lord and Savior, depending upon him to forgive you and to change you from the inside out. And I promise you, we will. I mean, he did that in my life. And he will do that in yours. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at this weekend, and by that I mean Good Friday, the events of Good Friday and Easter. And yet, in the rush and the press of culture and life, uh, we confess to you it's... Uh, easy for us to lose sight of Jesus, would you change that today, right now? Would you open our eyes, our minds, our hearts that we might see the supremacy of Jesus Christ who rules over everything? And I pray for these children, these students, um, these adults that are here and ask... God, that you would give them saving grace and mercy in a crazy, troubled world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's stand.